Well, good morning, everybody. Again, my name is Pastor Jordan. I am one of your pastors here at Christ's Covenant, and it is a joy to be able to spend uh, the morning with you studying God's Word. I trust that by now you've all digested all of your Thanksgiving meals, and I know that we all have different types of Thanksgiving um, traditions. I was going to just, I had a great weekend, I just kind of wanted to share what my weekend uh, looked like. So Thanksgiving morning, for the past 14 years, um, we have we have held what we called the Turkey Bowl, which is, um, ki- I say kids, they're like 24-year-old adults now, but um, we're a group of my friends over the past 14 years, all have some connection with Christ's Covenant, either former youth group members um, and or, or not, and so they all have some connection with Christ's Covenant. Anyway, we play at 8 a.m. every Thanksgiving morning, and so we had 16 guys this uh, past Thursday. It's a blast as always. Um, and, you know, I, I consider myself somewhat athletic, and um, so I'm, I feel like I'm able to keep up with these young studs like Joey right there, you know, um, who's, you know, roughly around the age of 24 years old. And so, you know, I, I'm out there playing my heart out. It's flag football. Uh, it's, it's really, more than anything, a good, a good time. And um, so everything's great. You know, I'm playing pretty well, and that's not the problem. The problem was Friday morning. <laughs> now... I'm 34 now, and I realize I have a decade on most of these guys. And I woke up on Friday morning in the worst pain I've ever felt like. I mean, I can't, I'm not over-exaggerating when I say, I think every muscle possible was sore. My jaw was sore. Why was my jaw sore? I don't know, but everything was sore. I'm like barely getting out of bed, walking like an old man. Um, And then, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to keep it to myself, though, because I want people to think I'm in better shape than I really am, so I'm just kind of toughing it out, you know? Um, and then, so, the following day, I'm still feeling it, this is yesterday now, and um, I went to this really, really cool event. Now, one of our members um, has kind of seen her dream come to fruition, and has been able to open a store uh, selling products, which she makes, her name's Jasmine, she's right here, and she was able to um, have a grand opening of her new storefront, which is on University, it's called Paint the Grand Studio, and so we had a, like a ribbon-cutting ceremony and everything like that, and her husband, Jason, was there, who also plays in the Turkey Bowl. Um, and so, again, I'm sore, but I'm keeping it to myself. And I step into the office where Jason is at Paint the Grain, and he looks at me and goes, dude, I'm so sore. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> okay. So then we, you know, as old men, just kind of shared our, our war stories. And, um, but actually, speaking of that event, it was a great event. If, um, as Jasmine describes her business, it's anything you've ever seen on Pinterest, they can make happen. Um, that's the kind of place it is. It's just a, a really cool, um, small business. I, I pray that you guys would support her. Um, but the coolest thing about my entire weekend, and it was totally unexpected, was we had everybody come outside um, for the ribbon cutting ceremony. So Jasmine got the giant scissors, and the girls held the ribbon. It was really cool. Um, and there was just a lot of people, you know, that we didn't know. Jasmine didn't know, I didn't know. Just, you know, people just coming to support the event. And so we're all standing outside. Everybody's said, taking pictures. And Jasmine says, wait, wait, uh, Jordan, can you pray for, for us? And, I, you know, unexpected but honored, I was like, you know, started to pray. I was like, yeah, of course. So I started praying. And as I'm praying, I'm thinking, you know, I'm praying, like, Lord, please bless this new ministry that Jasmine has. And I just thought it was so cool that all those people there got to witness um, what a Christian community looks like and how in everything uh, that, that the Nolans do, um, they seek to serve the Lord first. And I thought that was really cool. And um, so that, that was my, my Thanksgiving. It was really a good, a good time. One, one more thing, one more story I want to share about Thanksgiving. I don't know if you guys have this conversation at your house on Thanksgiving evening, but I always have it at mine. 
And um, it usually happens after dinner and after dessert, and everybody's feeling a little lethargic, and um, somebody says to somebody else, oh, it's, you know, it feels so late, I just want to go to bed, and somebody else says, it's 6.30, and then somebody else says, it's 6.30, but why, does anybody else have that conversation? <laughs> yeah, okay, but why is that on Thanksgiving night? Not only the food, but what else? What makes you feel like it's so late? It's dark outside, the time change. Who loves this time change? Pretty much no one except for me on the actual morning that it happens. But other than that, when it gets dark at 1 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it is, it makes you feel like lethargic and like your day is over. And so I always have that conversation on Thanksgiving evening, and nobody like, likes it, that time change where it gets dark so early. Why? Because we enjoy the light. The darkness is, makes you feel tired. You want to go to sleep. You don't, we're meant to live in the light. I officiated a wedding the other day, and, and I was talking to one of the guys. Um, who, he came from Boston to the wedding. And in Boston, which is now where my sister-in-law lives, so second time I've heard this, it gets dark at like 4 or 4.30 this time of the year. And not only that, he was telling me that like sunlight is kind of a rare, a rare event during these couple months. Like It's just always cloudy and overcast. And so I was just talking about it. He's like, yeah, you can tell when we haven't had like sunlight in two weeks that everybody's just like irritated. And like nobody's really happy. Everybody's just kind of like going about their day and kind of grumpy and then it's 4.30, it feels like it's time to go to bed but you can't go to bed because it's 4.30. And so, but he was telling me that and it just, it, it was reaffirming to me that we need this light. We need the sun to live. And it's really the light that gives us the energy to live life and to be happy. And when we're stuck in darkness for too long, it affects us emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so this morning I would like to speak a little bit of that because we're beginning a new series here at Christ's Covenant for what we call the Advent season. Right? So Advent's one of those words you hear a lot at church, but you might not necessarily know what it means. Advent means the arrival or coming of a notable person or thing or events. And obviously, when we say the Advent series, we're talking about the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, celebrating the notable arrival of Jesus, Christmas. And throughout Christian culture, we celebrate an Advent season during the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve. So, of course, we are looking forward to the arrival, the celebration of the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to kick off our Advent season starting next Sunday. So next Sunday will be the first of four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve. And so as Pastor Brian and I discussed the sermon series, we thought that today would be a good idea to introduce what our text is going to be for the next four weeks, and then I'll be able to provide you a little bit of context so we understand what we are studying. Isaiah's pro uh, prophetic pro proclamation of a Savior is found in Isaiah 9, and it focuses in on the names and roles in which this Savior will possess. He's prophesying of a, of a Messiah. And that's found in chapter 9, verse 6. So I'm going to introduce you to this text because we're pretty familiar with the text that we're going to be studying the next four weeks, uh, which is talking about, for unto us a child is born, right? You've heard that before. But I would, I would argue that probably many of you don't know the first five verses before that. And if I just read it to you real quickly, you'd be like, huh? Like, how does that fit in? So I want to be able to provide you with some context. So if you have your Bibles, um, please open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to break this text down together. 
hear the word of God. But there will be no gloom or darkness for, who, for her, this is Israel, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see what I mean? You've heard that text before, for unto us a child is born, but everything going on before that uh, is the context of why Isaiah is prophesying, why the Lord is using Isaiah to talk about this Messiah who's going to come into the world, because what's happening here is Israel is in a state of darkness. They've been scattered. They are not listening to the will of God. They have no joy. They are oppressed. They're praying to mediums and psychics, trying to find anything to bring them joy. And they're just left in darkness. This, this is what is happening currently while Isaiah is, is talking. And so Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, needs to bring light into this dark situation. Isaiah lived and ministered and wrote during one of the darkest times in the history of Israel. Again, Israel had rejected their God, and they tried to take matters into their own hands. Sound familiar? They once again found themselves scattered and oppressed, left in darkness under the overthrow of the Assyrians. So the prophet Isaiah, and his name literally means the Lord saves, pretty cool, is often referred to as the prince of prophets. And he is what we call the first of the major or the latter prophets. And Isaiah's account and prophecy speaks much of the destruction of Israel, the future destruction of Jerusalem. But Isaiah also prophesies that through the Lord and through a Messiah, that there will be redemption and restoration and light that will be brought back to God's children through a Savior. So Isaiah, again, begins this chapter with hope. And in verse 1, he says, But there will be no gloom. Also translated, But there will be no darkness for her who was in anguish. The her in this passage is the nation of Israel, and, and Isaiah goes on and is geographically explaining areas and lands that have been overthrown and oppressed, Zebulon and Naphtali and, the, and beyond the Jordan, Galilee. And God promises no gloom and no darkness to these regions and ends with the Galilee of nations, which that prophecy was specifically placed there by the Lord because it is uh, something that Jesus will uh, fulfill when he returns, pointing to him being the Messiah. I'll give it to you pretty clearly right here. In the New Testament, Matthew 4, verse 12, listen to this. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in, in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun 
and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So whatever just read to you was written by Matthew many, many years later to fulfill the prophecy that Isaiah has given us. And you see that Jesus fulfilled it. So that's why, that's why Isaiah points to this portion first. Because he wants, he wants to show you that when, when there is a man that comes from Nazareth, Nazareth named Jesus, that he will fulfill what I have said. And that way you will know that he is the Messiah. Isn't that cool? This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just as Isaiah prophesied. So Isaiah is predicting how light would shine in the darkness. This is a promise to a people who are afflicted. And they not only felt like there was no hope, but they were openly rejecting the God of hope. But the good thing is this is how our God works. In the midst of darkness, God says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. Since the very beginning. And I want you to start thinking about that now as we continue. That I know that a lot of you, like me, find yourself in utter darkness. And you will look for anything but God to fulfill to, to, to numb or to distract you to, so you, that you could experience some sort of light or joy. But it's always momentary in this world. But what God does is he delivers light in the midst of darkness. Real light. I'll prove it to you. From the first page of scripture, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness since day one. And if you keep looking at almost every narrative throughout scripture, that's what's happening. God's children find themselves in some sort of terrible situation where they are in the, uh, some kind of pit of destruction and darkness. And God says, let there be light. And, there was, and there's light. Look at every narrative. Whether it's, Isaiah, whether it's Abraham about to slay his son whether it's Noah building this ark that before the world is destroyed. I mean, look at Jacob and Joseph. It's all throughout Scripture, it's God's people are in darkness, and he provides light. So what makes it different than today? It's all throughout. That's what the entirety of Scripture is about. It's about man rejecting God's will, finding ourselves in darkness, and then God providing a Messiah, a Redeemer, to bring you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. That's the business of our God, and it's never changed. We reject him. We're left in darkness. He promises us a savior. He delivers. We are saved. We're taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the way of our God. This is our hope. And thank God that's our hope, because I have no faith in myself to deliver any sort of light or redemption when I'm in a dark or painful situation because every time I try to, I screw it up. And it not, doesn't just affect me, but it affects others, my family. We do this to ourselves over and over and over again. 
instead of relying on God. Isaiah continues, and he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So in the midst of Israel's oppression, right, Isaiah begins to elaborate on the joy of the hope that is to come. But I also love the way that Isaiah, Isaiah writes it in the tenses that he uses. He says, the people who walked, past tense. The people who have seen, past tense, a great light. And, and it's written that way to provide immediate hope for those who are currently in darkness. Saying that God, in his eternal timeline, has already accomplished this. So you, you can have hope right now. You may not feel like you're being delivered right now, but he's saying you can have hope because God has accomplished this. He goes on, he says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, I would venture to say that most of us in here, while we are in Southwest Ranches, are not farmers. So that illustration might be like, a little foreign to us, talking about a harvest. I'll get, I'm, a, I'm a half farmer, if you didn't know that. Um, I have chickens. I have five beautiful hens. I'm the only one who thinks they're beautiful, but they are what they are. Now, I purchased these chickens on my petchicken.com because I wanted fresh eggs. So, hens start laying eggs around five to six months. Right? I got them when they were a day old. So I have a lot of investment in these chickens currently. They're about four and a half months. They stink. They poop everywhere. I, you know, I feed them. They jump on me. I say I love them, but to be honest with you, they're kind of gross. My family absolutely despises them. So there's a lot of strife happening in my life right now because of these chickens. But I'm playing the long game. Because at six months, which they're about four and a half again, it says that they're supposed to lay one to two eggs per day, per chicken. So I'm like sitting on 10 to 12 eggs a day. So if you want fresh eggs come January, I'll be dividing the spoil. And then my investment would have paid off, <laughs> finally. And that's the relief that I'll get is when I could say, see, Jordy, I, I, Told you you shouldn't leave me because of the chickens. Look, we have eggs now. <laughs> and that's what he's speaking of here, that there's hope. <laughs> he continues, he says, For the yoke of his burden and for the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every argument rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So Isaiah is describing this relief and he moves on to a war example, as if you've been in a battle, a long, long battle with something, or like a real war, and you come out victorious. The relief that all, the, all of the strife that came during that battle is over, and you're victorious. And that's what he's speaking of. These war illustrations are giving us a visual of an end of darkness a victory over sin and afflictions. Because of this light that God has delivered, Isaiah prophes prophesies an outpouring of joy. 
building a nation of believers in the light, rejoicing like a long battle, battled war has ended. Now he says it's like the day of Midian. Now if you aren't familiar with that story, let me give you a rundown real quick. So back in Judges 6 or 7, I think it's 7, there's Gideon, who is the head of, of the, the nation of God's, God's children, um, was being oppressed by the Midianites. And so Basically, God's going to send them to battle. But the problem is, is that Gideon only has 300 people. And what's even worse is they don't have any weapons. Doesn't sound like a great war strategy. But God says, go. Put your faith in me and go. Light your torches and go. And what happens is these 300 go up, go up against this large nation of Midianites, thousands upon thousands. And, you know, this doesn't, if you were placing bets, you would bet on the Midianites. But what happens is the fear of the Lord is placed into the Midianites and they start turning on each other, and they basically start killing each other as the Gideon army is arriving. And God delivers Gideon and the people as victors because they just like self-destructed the Midianites. They imploded. And so they're victorious, and that's what he's describing how sin is going to feel at the end. You think you got something going for you in numbers, in the world, but you're going to self-destruct. And we see that in Scripture. Israel had no means to save themselves from this darkness, from the oppression, from the Midianites, but God caused a great fear, and they killed each other. So this oppressive yoke, the rod that was on the shoulders, the staff that was oppressing them, destroyed. A commentator notes here, he says, in the same way the death Speaking of self-implosion, in the same way the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ defeated Satan's seemingly unbreakable yoke of sin and death. Satan's dark kingdom has been routed by self-destruction or implosion. Satan turned his evil weapon of death on Jesus and by killing him, destroyed his own kingdom. And who are we and, who, and we who were enslaved by Satan through fear of death have been released from sin and we can serve God with joy. You see, I really think that the devil thought he had won. Remember, our God is all-knowing. The devil's not. And so I believe when Jesus took his last breath, Satan was like, yes, I won. Little did he know that his plan was part of a great and mighty plan of redemption that God used him as a tool to accomplish. Listen to this in Hebrews 2, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise took, partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. This is scripture. Listen to that. Through death destroys the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Boom. Hallelujah. That in the darkest day of history and what looked to many people like the end of hope. 
what felt like the darkest time in their lives when they felt there was no way that they were going to get out. Bursting forth in a glorious light, up from the grave he rose again, conquering sin, death forever. (laughs) Once again, it's the same narrative since day one. You're in darkness, God provides light. Amen. If you're here today, I want to tell you that over the next four weeks, Brian and I are going to be talking about this verse, for unto us a child is born, which the first readers of this would have been like, what? A child is going to deliver us? We're going to be talking about these titles that Isaiah ascribes to the one who is coming, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And if you're here today, and I suspect many of you are, finding yourself in the dark, I want to tell you again this message of hope. That when you cry out to the only giver of light, the only giver of life, the only giver of forgiveness, of redemption, that he has always delivered. And he will do so again today. He is the great flashlight, pain reliever. He is what you need. And whatever the world is offering you in his place is a lie. I know. God accomplishes this miracle of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ, who Isaiah is prophesying about. He is the great and mighty Savior whom the entirety of God's revelation, meaning the Bible, his word, the Holy Scriptures, it all speaks of Jesus coming to redeem you and bring you out of that light. The enemy, if you're like me, may be attacking you over and over and over again. He wants to deceive you. He wants to tell you that you don't need his light. It's the same thing he told Adam and Eve. You don't need this. And he'll tell you that. He'll whisper it in your ear. He'll say, you don't need God. You can find this joy and this satisfaction. You can find some identity. I'll give it to you. It's all in this world. It's all right in front of you. You can have all of this. Same way he tempted Adam and Eve. Same way he tempted Jesus. And it's a lie. The darkest moment in the history of the world happened on Calvary. And though Satan thought that he had distinguished the light of God, in the midst of that darkness, God brought light. He placed all of my sin and your sin upon the shoulders of Jesus. And when Jesus died, you were pardoned. You were brought into light. You were made innocent. You were justified of your sin. And like I said, he burst forth in glorious light. He rose again from the grave, ensuring that you have victory over death and all of his and our enemies forever and ever. You can have this light. And I'll tell you, if you're a believer and you're here today and you feel like you're drowning in darkness, call out to your Savior. He delivers. Find your help again in Christ. Be reminded of the salvation that was brought to you initially and the joy that provided when you first found out you were a child of God. And then, share it with the world. Pretend you're a giant mirror reflecting the light of the sun. And let's reflect God's grace and his light and the salvation found in Jesus to all others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we are reminded once again 
that because of you, we don't have to be on our own in this world. We're reminded once again that you have already done everything needed so that we may be forgiven of our sins. Father, we're reminded once again that through your spirit that we can obtain this light that Jesus Christ merited as he rose, as you rose again from the dead. We thank you, Jesus, that you scattered the darkness. That all of sin, like cockroaches, scatter when your light is shown. Do it again today, Lord. Scatter our darkness. Bring us into your light. We pray this in your name, for it is holy. Jesus Christ, amen.